Men are literally disgusting. Men are trash. That's common in society. What is a woman? Can you tell me that? Marriage is a patriarchal plot to oppress women. And there's no greater source of systematic oppression than the nuclear family. My pronouns are she, her, or they, them. Do you guys think men can get pregnant? Yes. Men, women, it's marriage, family, society. That's crazy. Are you enjoying today? I hope you are. I know I am. Um, you know how sometimes I tell you weird things that happen to me, like just seem kind of strange? Ever hear any of those? Yeah, that happened again this last week. All right, so I know a lot of, a lot of us are disappointed in the vote on Tuesday. But uh, on Thursday, I actually found myself at the governor's house, sitting around a table talking to the governor about the election and, you know, I mean, what are the odds of that happening? But uh, I was with six other pastors who make up the Evangelical Advisory Council to the governor, and he was just sharing his disappointment in that. And I know uh, that, you know, he put it all out on the line. I don't know if you saw his commercial and all that. He was working it, and he was, his chief of staff said he was working it just right up through the day. And uh, so, but I would just mention that, you know, that you might think to pray for him. Uh, they're already working on how they could limit some of the harm and destruction that that will do to our children. And so they're working on that right now. But uh, just an odd set of circumstances. I know that probably had a lot to do with Representative Pastor Gary Click, uh, because I didn't know any of the, anybody in that room when I walked in there and, of course, had never met the governor. And, you know, I'm asking dumb questions like, what does somebody wear to some? A suit, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, I got it, yeah, whatever. So pray for him. Uh, you know how we get disappointed? Well, that, that goes all the way up the chain sometimes, and again, we want the best for our kids. So we sent out a mailer about this series, Call Me Crazy, that some of you received and some didn't, but I'll just let you know, some people did not like that mailer, and we got a, a few angry calls and people telling us, you know, different things. <laughs> Actually, I didn't receive any of those, our poor secretaries. But uh, anyway, you know, they, they heard a little bit of that. And, you know, we don't care. But anyway, that, it's kind of like, we, if you know us, we don't want to hurt anybody. We're not out to harm anybody. Uh, it's just we want to teach truth about men, women, family, uh, marriage, <clears throat> society. And uh, we wish no harm to people. We want the best for people, but we especially want to try to help those who are the weakest uh, in our society. And so we cannot lose the mission God's given us as a church because of the madness in the world. I mean, and today our culture is swept up in madness. What's happening right now uh, with all this uh, contemporary critical theory, what's happening in corporate America, what's happening in women's sports, what's happening on college campuses, it's complete madness. It's, it's crazy. And this series is basically designed to be a biblical response to some of that crazy that's become common in our culture. And it's happening... Because there's a new set of ideas that are taking hold 
in our culture, really overtaking our culture. And these ideas have also impacted a lot of churches. They've crept in there as well. And and these, uh, these ideas are detrimental to people, detrimental to communities, and are against God's biblical truth. And uh, it's, it's, it's just a, a sad situation. And, and, of course, we could give you example after example. But some of it, that's sort of in print, so you could go back and see. And a lot of times things get taken away. Well, for example, a couple of years ago, a CNN had a news article that said this, and this is, quote, It's not possible to know a person's gender identity at birth and... There is no consensus criteria for assigning sex at birth, end quote. That stood for about 24 hours until public outcry. They finally pulled it. Uh, They removed it. But call me crazy. A person's sex or gender is not assigned at birth. It's recognized at birth, right? I mean, we see it. I mean, there it is. Nobody has to do any assigning. It's just there. We just see it, recognize it, admit it. The ACLU, which is a liberal organization, confidently, confidently stated this, and I'm going to quote. Quote, fact, trans athletes do not have an unfair advantage in sports, end quote. Has anybody at the ACLU watched a sport? I mean, this really makes no sense. We, we see things happening all the time. Men competing in women's sports. This is not, not great for women. The ACLU said this, fact, quote, fact, trans girls are girls. And you're just going, huh? What? There's, and, and if you don't know what a trans woman is or trans girl... When, when you hear the word trans, that means opposite. You know, it's a man saying that he's a woman is a trans woman. They couldn't call him a trans man to make him sound like a man, so they call him trans woman. And so, but we're saying, hey, a boy who says he's a girl is a girl. That's our culture talking. It's, it's crazy. And, and really, none of this should surprise us because stuff like this is what happens when a culture rejects God. And now we've rejected God enough that the whole of our culture is confused and swallows illogical, contemporary, critical theory that doesn't work. It doesn't even make sense. But the Bible offers solutions, answers, Better solutions for men, for women, for marriage, for family, for society. That's what we're talking about, but also it offers better solutions for race, class, gender, sexuality, justice, and oppression. I mean, the Bible has solutions for this. So in this series, we're confronting these cultural lies, and we're starting with men and But we all need to hear it, even the ladies, especially you young ladies. In case you're ever looking for a man, you'll know what to look for. So just keep that in mind. So most, and this has affected churches, most 
churches have a shortage of men. And it's because many churches basically say, hey, you're a Christian man. Well, you need to read a lot, sit in circles, talk about your feelings, sit down, be quiet, and behave. Basically, you need to act more like a woman in order to fit in here. And a lot of men don't want to go to that church. I don't want to go to that church. At grace, men can be men. As a matter of fact, you know, and just to give you a snapshot, what, what do we mean by that? We have, you know, here, here's some typical things men do at grace. have a manhood crisis in our country. As a matter of fact, this week, just knowing that I was going to preach on this, Tim, Pastor Tim, pulled up a, an article that scientists wrote about the decreasing testosterone levels in men. I mean, it's just like, you know, and, and all these scientists are going, hey, this is happening we don't know why. And they're throwing out all these things, you know, well, it could be the diet. It could be, you know, not being, you know, as, as active. We're sitting in offices or something like that, you know, or it could be the culture. They're actually talking about it could just be the culture that we're in today, you know, that men have less testosterone. I think the title of the article was something like, you're not the man your dad was, you know, kind of a deal, which I really hit Zach with that to make sure he understood that. <laughs> so he knows. And, uh, you know, it, and you're just, you know, what's going on? Of course, Tim and I, we had a lot of funny things to say about that that I can't share with you, but just know it was interesting to read all that because people are confused about what being a man even is. And even when people, men, are trying to be men, sometimes it shows up in ways that it shouldn't. For example, being a drill, in, a drill sergeant to your family and a taskmaster at work doesn't make you manly. And when boys try to declare themselves as men by consuming more stuff, which just means bigger toys and more women and more beer and more money and more success, and, and it results in a feeling of entitlement over responsibility. They're just boys who can shave. But when men step up to be the men that God intends us to be, then everyone around us flourishes. Not just us, our families, our communities, everybody around us will flourish if we will step up to be the godly men that God wants us and calls us to be. But that's not how our culture views men or masculinity. Our culture says there's no difference between men and women, which is just kind of bizarre if you think about it. They say there's no difference between men and women, and then they go on to slam men, slam men, hate men, slam men, is the way 
our culture does. Psychologists, educators, politicians mimic junk science saying masculinity is the cause of men's problems. And they say removing masculinity is the solution. As if masculine men are the dangerous ones. The most dangerous male in our society is not the one who's strong, assertive, successful, and responsible. No, the most dangerous male is the one who's depressed, who feels entitled, who doesn't earn a living, who always depends on others, unable to care for his kids. The most dangerous man is not the one with power, but the one who feels powerless. It's weak and immoral men who abuse women and treat people badly. The Bible teaches the truth about men and masculinity. And it starts very early in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is a binary. One or the other, male and female, he created them. It's not LGBTQ plus, 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 plus. You know, and again, we understand that people are going to do what they want to do and people sin in, in the area of sexuality and there's a whole bunch of heterosexual sin and sexuality going on every day as well. We get that. But we don't have to play along with it. We don't have to play along with gender pronouns. We don't have to pretend. No group owns words. You know, you can't just own a word. Even pronouns, you don't own those. Scripture's telling us God created man and woman. And in his image, he made them both. We didn't evolve. We were created. I actually just read an article that was talking about how most people in America do not believe in evolution anymore. Why? Science is why. It doesn't make any sense. On the most basic level, order and design never comes from chaos. I illustrated that one time by throwing a hand grenade into Burns' scrap metal heap. Remember that? You know, it was a fake hand grenade, but you threw that in, an explosion. You don't drive out with an F-150, right? All the stuff's there. I mean, just a little chaos, mix it up, and it's going to produce order. That will never happen. You, you can throw a hand grenade into burned scrap metal where it has everything for an F-150. You can throw it in there a million times. You will never drive out with a new F-150. And our bodies are way more complicated than a truck. Wouldn't it be great if you could get two trucks together and have another truck? You know, our bodies are way more complicated than that. Our creator made men and women equal in value and worth, but different in design. God made us distinct and different for his purposes. 
Actually, he created us to complement each other, but that's another talk. What our church and our world needs is masculine, virtuous men. That's what God wants too. But our culture doesn't know what that looks like anymore. So what does biblical masculinity look like? Well, first of all, I would just start with the men we see here every Sunday at Grace. I've pastored here at Grace for a while. And I want to read you a list of the kind of men that have been part of grace. Some of them are are with Jesus now. But every description I'm going to give you represents men who were part of Grace Community Church, members of Grace Community Church over the last few years. Here we go. Military men who don't talk much about it, but fought from the beaches of Normandy at D-Day all the way through to the Battle of the Bulge. Men who strung communication wire behind enemy lines among Japanese tanks on the island of Peleliu, which was one of the bloodiest fights in the Pacific Theater, and I didn't know about that until I started doing research for his funeral. Men who may be in here manned helicopter machine gun hovering over the fall of Saigon. Men who've spit sand and fought Islamic extremists in Iraq and Afghanistan. And there are men who lead our community, who work hard, who provide jobs for others because they've built companies. They save lives in the ER and on the surgical tables. Men who pitched in the majors, run heavy equipment, climb water towers, work with their hands, race dirt track, and do it for Jesus. Young men, this is not generational, young men in our church who serve our countries in ways we can't even talk about publicly. Young men who win Olympic medals, who served in special forces, who run their own business, young men who farm their own ground, young men who preach the word, men who not only hunt, They actually kill animals and bring them home to their family to provide meat, unlike me. (laughs) Men who protect people are on the first line of defense, fly airplanes, ride Harleys. But, But it's more than all that. Men, these are men, all these men are men who turned their lives around for God. Men who've been faithful to their wives for 50, 60, and even 70 years. Men who sacrifice every day. Unsung men who sacrifice every day to provide and protect their families. And finally, men who face death and act like men, the latest of which was Nelson Cleveland, whose funeral will be tomorrow. All of these are men who are part of Grace. Not just that, part of this campus of Grace Community Church since I've been here. 
We just finished a series on the life of David. And we learned that as a teenager, David killed a bear and he killed a lion and he killed this Philistine champion, a big guy named Goliath. We learned that David led men into battle. That for a while, he was a mercenary that led other mercenaries. Almost his entire life, he led warriors into battle. And men willingly risked their lives, willingly risked their lives to follow him. And God said, David was a man after God's own heart. I was raised by a master chief who left high school to join the fight in World War II and then served through three wars. By the way, he had a lot of opinions on manhood. (laughs) But imagine if you were raised by David, this guy. What would a warrior who'd fought countless battles, hand-to-hand combat, and also a man after God's own heart, what would he say about manhood? Well, we actually have a record of that. A 3,000-year-old record of that. That is faithful and true. We know that. We can trace that back. And we left David off when his son Solomon became king. But think about it. Snapshot. At the end of his life, David, he was king, but he was old and frail and didn't have a lot of strength. I know it's hard to imagine today an older guy in poor health running a country, but back then, that actually happened. So back then, that happened, and that was David. He was old, he was frail, he was in charge of the country, and notice his charge to his son when he knew he was going to die before he died because it's a manly challenge. We see it in 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. As David's time time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I am going the way of all the earth, and then here's the charge. Here's what he's telling Solomon whose life is in danger, by the way. He says, first, be strong, therefore, and second, show yourself a man. And we'll just stop there for a minute. Be strong. Now, when he's telling Solomon to be strong, he's talking more than just physical strength. We find that out as we get the context, which we'll get to in a minute. Not just kind of an individual, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And a lot of us men, we like that stuff. But that's not just what he's talking about. He's talking about a strength that's connected to God. It's not just physical strength, but includes emotional, mental, and moral strength. Because we're connected to God. And then he says, show yourself a man. He's saying, demonstrate your manhood. By doing manly things. And this whole phrase, show yourself a man, is really talking about courage. And courage is beyond just us guys getting up at night, you know, to check on the noise that somebody heard that was laying. You ever do that, you know? It's not just that. That's part of it, I guess. But it's more than that. It's protecting your family 
from the world's corruption and standing up for what's right and standing up for people who are weaker than you are. So how do we get strength? How do we be manly and courageous by showing ourselves to be a man? Well, it, it's included in what David says next. is important. He says, how do you do that? Pursue God. And here it is, next verse, verse 3. He continues to say, David to Solomon, Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what's written in the law of Moses so that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. For us to have the strength to be the men that God wants us to be, we need that from God. We need to obey God's commands. We need to follow him. Now, the world's system rejects the Bible. And they put forth other theories, but... Those ideas, those theories, first of all, they defy logic and they do not help anyone. Critical theory, contemporary critical theory, that's all this stuff like queer theory, CRT, all this stuff. It doesn't help anything. There's nothing in it that builds up. It only tears down. It offers no solutions, just rage division, and blaming others. It hurts everybody, including the people who are doing it. In our broken world, God is our only hope for truth, direction, and a better life. Not an easier life, a better life with meaning and purpose and integrity. God's word and his love provides hope to every man in a confused world. And so we just pulled those principles out of the Old Testament. Well, what does the New Testament have to say about manhood? Well, it's basically the same thing. We can see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. Talking to men, God is communicating to men through Paul, and here's what he says. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Did you get it? Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Four things. Be on the alert. He's talking about action. One of the biggest problems with men today, which I already mentioned earlier, in the last week or two, is passivity. Don't be passive. Keep watch over yourself and your family. Watch out for temptation. Your enemy will use, your enemy will even use a twisted view of masculinity to destroy you and your family. So how do we do this? How do we know where we're at? Well, ask yourself some questions. How do you treat weaker people? How do you spend your free time? 
How do you spend your screen time? Don't disengage with your family by being online gaming for four hours an evening. Don't do that. Porn destroys masculinity and teaches us to view women abusively. Porn destroys masculinity. And it will teach you to have the wrong view of women. Then he says, stand firm in the faith. How do we do that? By actively, not passively, actively pursuing God. Then he says, act like men. And then he says, be strong. Well, we've already kind of mentioned that. But right after that, the next sentence as he's talking about men is key. We go from verse 13 to verse 14 and he says that, this to men. Let all that you do be done in love. Act like men. Be strong. Stand firm in the faith. And everything you do, do it in love. Men are called to love self-sacrificially. We're called to love God first, and when we love God first, and we pursue God, we will learn how to love others. We will have strength to love our wives, to love our families, to love our community around us. And we will love not just with emotion or words, we will love with action because in the Bible, that's what the word love means. It implies action. Now, Jesus is the greatest man who ever lived, a God-man. And apart from Jesus, the man, the God-man, we will never know how to be a real man, how to be a godly man. Because what's been happening for decades is our culture has feminized men. But they've also feminized Jesus. And they've also feminized the gospel. And they do that by only stressing one part of Jesus, that Jesus is love. Yes, Jesus is love. And he is, the Bible tells us that. But he is also the one who judges with righteous wrath. You don't hear that a lot in our culture today. In love, Jesus taught us about hell. Where people will be in torment in eternity. Because that will be the just and correct and right punishment for their sin and their rejection of God. In love, he taught us about that. In love, Jesus called religious leaders hypocrites, snakes, fools, and blind guides. These are words Jesus used for people, leaders, religious leaders, who are letting people think that somehow they could be okay just by what, how they live their life, which is not true. Jesus rescued a woman caught in adultery who was going to be stoned and then said to her, go 
and sin no more. He healed a man who couldn't walk. And then later saw that man again. And because of what the men had been doing, he told him, if you don't stop sinning, something worse than not ever being able to walk in your life is going to happen to you. Jesus said that. In love, he confronted all of us, you and me, about our sin. Jesus is love. Yes. But he never downgrades the standard of justice and righteousness. He kept telling us, God will punish all sin. God is perfect and there will be perfect justice. We don't experience that now, but it's coming when this life is over. Perfect justice. And that's bad news for all of us. Because we've not all just sinned. We've all sinned against our creator. So is there any hope at all? Yes. What we call the gospel, that just means good news. And that is that Jesus, eternal God, left heaven, came down, and clothed himself as a human being. He humbled himself all the way down to this earth and a person. And not only that, a baby. And not only that, born to a poor family in a corner of Israel called Bethlehem. And he did that, and he humbled himself to grow up with his parents. At some point, his legal father died, Joseph. And then when he was 30 years old, he started teaching us truth, which is what we talk about all the time. As a matter of fact, our next series, we will look at Christmas and then keep going just through the book of Luke, just one of the Gospels, who compiled eyewitness accounts. So he taught us for three years, from 30 to 33. And then he voluntarily allowed himself to be spit on, slapped, punched, beaten, scourged, which is a type of flogging that rips the flesh off your back until your bones are exposed. And when he was a bloody mess like that, he allowed himself to be paraded through the city, outside the walls, to a hill called Golgotha, where he allowed himself to be nailed to two pieces of lumber and hoisted up in the air. He allowed himself to be publicly tortured to death by people who knew exactly how to do that and were experts at it. And even then, when he could have ended that at any moment and called a legion of angels to rescue him, he allowed himself to be tortured to death. Before he died, he even asked that the sins of the people torturing them, that that sin of killing Jesus would not be held against them. And then he died. Eternal God, tortured to death by his own creation. 
But because he did that, he opened up a way for sinful people like me and you to come to God and have a relationship with a perfectly holy and just God. We can have a relationship with him. But the only way that happens is when we admit our sin, we recognize that we're sinful people, and then we understand Jesus died to pay the punishment for our sin. The punishment for our sin that we deserve is eternal. But eternal God can pay our punishment in a matter of hours on the cross of Calvary. And so Christ died for us, so we need to admit our sin, Understand Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin and then put our trust, our belief in him. But that belief is not just intellectual belief. Scripture says the demons believe and tremble in James. That belief is more than intellectually believing in God and Jesus. Any historian knows that Jesus was crucified. The belief is that we put our trust in Jesus that we trust him, that what he did can save us. That if we put our trust in him, we don't have to pay for our sins. He's already paid for our sins. And for us to pay for our sins is double jeopardy. It would not be just. But in order to get his death to account for our lives and our sins, we have to respond with trust or faith, which is what trust means. And that's just that we're putting our trust, all our eggs in the Jesus basket. We're putting our trust in Jesus. And we recognize that there's no good thing that we can do that will even partially help us be right with God. Good works cannot save us. Good works are what we're supposed to do. That's ground zero. That doesn't take away one sin. And so the question is, have you done that? There's actually another verse in the Bible that tells us, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. 2 Corinthians 3.15. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Have you truly trusted in Christ for your salvation? How do I know that? Well, are you pursuing God? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you talk to God? Do you recognize that what he says is what you should be doing? That everything you're doing that he says not to do is a sin against him. Do you get that? And no matter who you are or what you've done, it's never too late. God is still loving you and inviting you into a relationship with him. So the most important thing I can share with you today is just that. And basically, I want to take it a step further. I want you, I want to kind of force you lovingly, into figuring out where you stand with God? It's the most important question. And we're going to do this with ABCs. Some of you have done this before. Every single one of us in this room fit in one of four categories when it comes to our relationship with God. A, B, C, D. Now here's what I want you to do. Just humor me because you're not going to want to do this. Do it anyway. Grab a card on the chair rack in front of you. Everybody, grab a card. Hey, Kevin, I already checked in. Grab a card. Work with me. Just grab a card, pass one around, grab a pen. All I'm going to have you do is write down one letter. You don't even have to put your name if you don't want to. It would be great, but 
That's okay. So where I want you to physically write a letter down just to help you solidify in yourself that you know what category you are as far as you and God. Okay, so here's what A stands for. Just hear all, hear all four of them maybe before you write down. A is I already believe. Kevin, before I walked in this building, I already trusted in Christ for my salvation. I know when I did that or I know the circumstances when that happened and I am actively following Jesus. Already believed. A, that's an A. If you're not sure, you can put an A down with intellectual honesty and integrity. Hang on. Or the next letter is B. You might describe yourself this way, the second category. You fit in one of these four. B is, I'm believing, trusting in Christ today. Means, hey, I've always known Jesus existed. Don't, you know, that, that's just being a historian knows that. But now I'm believing in the sense I'm believing in. I'm putting my trust in Jesus. I understand he died to pay for my sins and I'm recognizing that's all I have. And I want to believe in him, meaning I want to follow him with my life. If that's true today, put B. If that's true of you, maybe it's just been true the last two or three weeks. Put B and we'll just know, oh, you're, you're new. And then C is, hey, I'm hearing this. It sort of makes sense. It kind of seems logical. But I've not really heard this much. I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around this. So I'm trying to figure it out. I'm considering it. I'm considering trusting Jesus, right? C. And if you're sitting there with probably with no piece of paper and you're going, this guy's an idiot. I want to get out of here as fast as I can. Can't wait to hit the door. I wonder if I leave now, how many, if it'll offend people. You know, you might just write D, and that is, don't want to become a follower of Christ. Don't intend to become a follower of Christ. I don't want anything to do with this D. And if you write D, we'll appreciate your intellectual integrity to just let us know. So grab a card, which, which category are you in, write it down. And then especially if you write B down, we would like to know who you are. And so we would like you to put your name on the card. If you're new, we want you to turn in a card and we have a gift for you. It could be this card or a different card. I mean, if you don't want to tell us your A, B, C, D, just fill out a, you know, fill out another card but if you drop off a card you know we have a free gift just for being here with us but we're going to want everybody's card whether you're A, B, C or D whether you put your name on it or not we would just like to know and so we have people that are, are leaving this as you leave this auditorium they should be outside the doors and they'll collect your cards or you could just leave them you know, on the platform, we don't have a service after this. You could leave it on the landing, you know, the, the rail, wherever it fits. You could set it on the ground. We'll pick it up. We just want your card. Make a decision. Figure out where you're at. If you're B, welcome to the family. We're not judging you. If we, if we anybody who's marked A has already been a D a C and a B. 
right? We know right where you're at. We understand. We want what's best for you. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your love for us. And Father, there are are no doubt probably some here right now today who wrote B down. And, And that's a you thing. God, you helped them to see. You drew them. You loved them. And Father, we rejoice on that because we know that you've said when one sinner repents, there's joy in heaven rejoicing. So Father, for those bees, we pray with them and hope they'll be able to verbalize this. That they admit their sin. That they're asking for forgiveness and know it It's only possible through Jesus. And they want to follow you with their life. And Father, help us to support them on their spiritual journey. Father, for those who put C, Father, we pray that they would come back and find out more. And if they have questions, which I'm sure they do, get those questions answered. And Lord, if they wrote D, we pray that you'd change their heart like you changed a lot of our hearts when we weren't interested. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your unending love and the truth that you tell us in that love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.